The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It's Friday, and you know what we do on Friday. On Friday, specifically, we do two things. We go through your almighty takes as a reminder. Hit me up at email. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes for every week, and we'll go through them on this podcast. In addition, we crumble cookies on Fridays. We go through specifically some high-level things that we think would be valuable for the Bills to do against their upcoming opponent. So let's dive right into the first section and start off with a listener-submitted email from Jameis. And Jameis sent a, a nice long email and specifically wanted to ask me about the quarterback metric stew that I created on the Thanksgiving episode of this podcast. If you have not gone back and listened to that episode, please do it. It is called a QB metric amalgamation for your consideration. And I specifically talk about on that podcast that really we shouldn't be looking at quarterback evaluation via metrics as a one-size-fits-all with any metric. We should be utilizing them and curating them specifically to create a composite that will do better in its evaluative skills than any one metric would give on its own. And what he asked me was, did I consider applying individual weight of my own creation to individual pieces of the composite? And the answer is, yes, I did. I did consider weighting those things individually. However, any weighting that will occur by me will occur after I have utilized this composite to measure enough quarterbacks 
that I can get a good feel for what the composite is not accounting for well enough and what the composite is accounting for well. Sample size. Sample size is important in all aspects of science, chemistry, physics, anything that you do that involves experimentation, biology, physiology, any sort of science requires sample size along with experimentation. And that's really what this is, is an experiment by me. And at the present time, I don't have sample size. Will I eventually apply a weight to it of my own creation? Probably. That might be literally years from now. Once I have collected appropriate amount of data to be able to say, you know what? I don't think the composite is accounting for this well enough. I think it would be better if I applied weight myself for it. Specifically, he talks about the fact that things like average yards per attempt are accounted for multiple places in the composite. But other things like a well-placed throw from a quarterback that's dropped by the receiver, that's only accounted for in the PFF grade. But the PFF grade already has human bias. So if I'm weighting something has human bias, now I'm applying additional weight to something. It just, it gets messy. So yes, I'm willing to do it, but I'm not willing to do it yet. So that's my answer to that question. I am willing to do it. I'm just not willing to do it quite yet. I am planning on doing a pod in the off season that goes through all 32 quarterbacks in assistance to re-tier these quarterbacks based primarily on the composite scoring. So that's something that we are going to do at some point this off season. So there's that. Jameis, thank you so much for reaching out and for asking me those questions. Okay, next comes from Jake. And Jake also sent me a good long email and I went through all of it. And the discussion was about the Bills offensive identity. And I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday when I talked about my dissatisfaction with the specifics of the game plan against the San Diego Chargers. And I recognize it's unpopular. I got many responses to me indicating it was unpopular. I care about that, but I feel very secure in my opinion. So he emailed me, Jake did, and specifically was talking about some other Bill's media and content creation people who had similar ideas that the Bill's offensive identity is passing the ball. And the counterpoint to that is that the Bills' offensive identity isn't passing the ball. It is a amoebic sort of chameleon offense that changes based on the weaknesses of the defense that particular week. Jake referred to it in his email as the Borg. If you are any Star Trek aficionados out there, you will recognize the relation to the Borg and specifically the concept of assimilation. I am not a huge Star Trek guy. I know enough to be dangerous. You know, I can recognize a Romulan and a Klingon because I had family members who were interested in Star Trek and I have seen a lot of the movies, but I was not a huge fan of the television shows when they were on uh, the originals or the next generation or any of the new ones. So that part is kind of lost on me, but I absolutely know what he's getting to when he refers to the Bills offensive identity as being the Borg. So the idea being 
that you will manipulate your offense week to week to do the thing that the weakness of the defense that you're facing necessitates that you do. Specifically, Jake talked about Bill Belichick doing this scheming ways in the Super Bowl to take away the things that your offense does best and being able to adapt your offense necessary to the defense matters. I partially answered this question slash statement on the pod yesterday that I do think there are extenuating circumstances where being run heavy is advantageous. I specifically mentioned what the Patriots did against the Bills a couple weeks ago where they were playing six defensive backs, regardless of offensive personnel grouping from the Bills. In that case, that's a pretty extreme circumstance. You should probably run the ball a lot. The weather is a big part of this massive wind gust. Listen, I I trust Josh Allen's arm as much as the next guy. Dude's got a cannon. 40 mile an hour winds are still 40 mile an hour winds. That's just the way it is. So, the thing that I have always cared about when we talk about offensive identity is there are a couple times when it's important to be able to run the ball and quote-unquote establish the run. The first is what I already talked about, extreme circumstances. Circumstances that happen outside the norm. Six defensive backs, crazy weather, things like that. The second time when I think it's appropriate to be run heavy is when your passing game is terrible. When your passing game is so bad that the running game is better. Then at that point, sure, there have been some offenses where that has been the case. Now, it's very, very important that you understand something. Even inefficient passing games are still superior to the vast majority of run games. That's just the way the math works. Passing games, middle of the road, are most of the time more efficient ways of gaining yards and scoring points than good running games. You heard me right. Good running games are still taking a back seat to middle-of-the-road passing games when it comes to the attempts to score points. Now, it's important to note, the intent of every play is not necessarily to score as many points as humanly possible. Sometimes, you're trying to get a third and one. If you're trying to get a third and one, then there's a lot of run plays that you should probably pick over pass plays. Specifically, spread sneaks. If you're trying to run out clock, probably don't pass the ball. There are plenty of times when it's appropriate to run the ball. Please don't think I am advocating for throwing the ball 100% of the time. What I'm saying is that ideally, the math has always worked out to the point where a reasonable passing game is going to beat out a good running game almost regardless of defense you're facing, quality of the team you're facing, all these other circumstances, unless there are some extreme ones, which we've talked about. So there are some scenarios where I think that Buffalo and other NFL teams should have an offensive identity that is not throwing the ball. I do think the Browns have the right idea because right now Baker Mayfield is not looking like they thought he would when he was the number one overall pick. He's looking like a really good game manager or a fair game manager or a bad game manager, depending on the week. But he's not taking that elite step. He's he's a game manager. I heard a lot of people comparing him to Case Keenum at this point. 
And if you have Case Keenum, then maybe that's what you should be doing. Maybe you should be a run-heavy offense that asks your quarterback to not make mistakes. And maybe that's okay to be your identity. Is that the best identity, ideally, for your team? No. It might just be the best identity given your limitations. And that's the good thing. So hear me when I say this. Josh Allen has progressed to the point where he should not and is not holding the team back from being a passing offense. Baker Mayfield is holding his team back right now from being a passing offense. The fact that I want to be a passing offense is a good thing because it means Josh Allen is not a limiting factor on that, which is good. Not a lot of run-heavy teams making it to the Super Bowl anymore. That's just not correlative. So, back to the board concept. The idea that we do whatever we want to do week to week based on the weaknesses of the defense. It's good in theory. It is. And to a limited extent, that should be done. You should game plan against specific weaknesses of the opponent. I think it's great. That being said, even the Bills yesterday, I talked about this, even when the Bills were attacking the Los Angeles Chargers and having a a good amount of success running the ball on first and 10 and second and long, even the good running game wasn't as effective as an eh, passing game. That's how much more effective it is. So yes, you should game plan around that. And those things should be tweaks. But if you have a quarterback and you have weapons, then the passing game is almost always going to be a better plurality of your offense. Not the entirety of your offense, but a plurality of your offense. And so I understand media and content creators saying that this should be a passing offense. And I agree with them. Unless there's extreme circumstances. I'm not saying we should go out and throw the ball 50 times a game in the middle of a blizzard. That's not what I'm saying. That's an extreme circumstance. But under normal circumstances, I'd like to continue to see it passing aggressively on first down. Not every first down, but a majority of them. Passing 60 to 40 as far as the ratio goes, because that's where your strengths are. And more importantly, you have a quarterback who's not stopping you from doing that. Think about it. The reason everybody wants a franchise quarterback is so that they can get to that. Teams are looking every year in the NFL draft for the quarterback that will let them become a passing team. Because the lack of a franchise quarterback is one of the things that holds you back from being that style of offense. Why is everyone trying to achieve that? Because they know that's the most efficient, probable way of scoring points and winning games in the National Football League. So, when it comes to the Bills' offensive identity, that's my particular spiel. I hope that over yesterday's pod and today's pod, I have outlined it appropriately so that moving forward, you'll kind of know where I'm going to fall on specific things. In addition... Jake, you had some kind words to say at the end of your email, and I really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that my pod with my wife was able to speak to you and your wife. That's pretty awesome. The last thing is that Jake suggested 
that there is a theme song that should be associated with the Bills franchise resurgence and Josh Allen's career path. And I thought it was kind of funny because the song that was suggested was Prayer of the Refugee by Rise Against. So, for those of you not familiar with this song, I was introduced to this song, ironically enough, through Guitar Hero. Yes, that's right, I was a Guitar Hero guy. I was awesome at Guitar Hero, so, you know, just in case there's questions about that, that should be said up front, that I was a Guitar Hero legend, albeit perhaps only in my mind. But I thought we'd just take a quick musical break and listen to a few bars of this song. Sorry, I got, I got a little carried away there. I'm, I'm still in my head trying to see if I can remember the exact Guitar Hero fingerings appropriate for that particular song. Sometimes I remember it, and then other times I don't. You know, Guitar Hero, that whole phase was a, that was a different part of my life and a while ago. And sometimes it comes back to me when I'm sitting in an arcade and some snot-nosed eight-year-old needs to be shown the business. And then other times... He calls me old, and I get my feelings hurt. But the point is that we just took a nice little detour for the fun. It's Friday, guys. We're going to have a little fun. It's a Friday. And I happen to love that song, so it kind of works. Okay, moving along. Sif from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, says, His almighty take is that annual NFL drafts are to football as prime earnings years are to workers. Invest wisely. And an enjoyable retirement is your Super Bowl run. I am gratified to see that our investment in Ed Oliver is clearly paying dividends, a few untimely penalties notwithstanding. The AJ Epinesa Fund appears finally to be returning a slight profit on our investment. How would you rank recent draftees on the SIF investment scale? Are there pink sheet guys that you see as long-term answers here? Are there blue chip stocks that you see as wasted opportunities? So, As I look back, first off, I love this question. As I look back at Brandon Bean's draft classes, and that's what I'm going to use. I'm not going to use Sean McDermott's draft class. I'm just going to use Brandon Bean's for the purposes of this discussion. In 2018, Bill's draft picks, Josh Allen, Tremaine Edmonds, Harrison Phillips, Taron Johnson, Saran Neal, Wyatt Teller, Ray Ray McLeod, and Austin Prowell. 2019, Ed Oliver, Cody Ford, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, Voshan Joseph, Jaquan Johnson, Daryl Johnson, Tommy Sweeney. 2020, A.J. Epinesa, Zach Moss, Gabriel Davis, Jake Fromm, Tyler Bass, Isaiah Hodgins, and Dane Jackson. So let's go through those three draft classes. Let's talk about them. First off, if Josh Allen hits, a lot of this stuff can be forgiven. If you look at the Seattle Seahawks, they have been subsisting on three excellent draft classes in a row. Those three excellent draft classes were 2010, 2011, and 2012. That's how long ago it was. Why? Because they got the quarterback right. 2010, this was the draft class for the Seattle Seahawks. 
Russell Okun, Earl Thomas, Golden Tate, Walter Thurman, E.J. Wilson, Cam Chancellor, Anthony McCoy, Dexter Davis, Jameson Cons. 2011, James Carpenter, John Moffat, K.J. Wright, Chris Durham, Richard Sherman, Mark Legree, Byron Maxwell, Malcolm Smith, Lazarius Levinson. 2012, Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, Robert Turbin, Jay Howard, Corey Toomer, Jeremy Lane, Winston Guy, J.R. Sweezy, Greg Scruggs. So in three draft classes, they got Russell Okun, Earl Thomas, Golden Tate, K.J. Wright, Richard Sherman, Malcolm Smith, Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, Robert Turbin, J.R. Sweeney. They got contributors, a lot of them, and one of them was the franchise quarterback. Since then, the highlights of their draft classes have been Tyler Lockett, Jaron Reed, Quentin Jefferson, who's now with the Bills, and DK Metcalf. Those have been the players that have really been good or studs for them in the years following that, in the lot of years following that. You can cover up a lot of less than stellar drafting if you get the quarterback right. And that's the point of this entire side jaunt we just went on is that if Josh Allen hits, a lot of this stuff is going to matter a lot less. Tremaine Evans looks like he's coming into form. I'm not entirely sure Harrison Phillips is ever going to be a really good player in this league. I'm not entirely sure he gets a second deal with Buffalo by any means. Taron Johnson, Saran Neal have served their purpose as well. Saran Neal is a special teamer, but you have to understand when you draft somebody in the fifth or sixth round, that's fine. Not everybody's going to be a starter. And if they're a contributor, that's good. Wyatt Teller obviously has its own story. Traded to the Browns. Has become a really good player in this league. But for somebody else. With 2019, I've been pounding the table that Ed Oliver's a good player. Cody Ford is just now getting to his position and then he gets hurt. So, jury's still out on Cody Ford. Devin Singletary is a reasonable running back in this league. Dawson Knox has not taken the step that we wanted him to in year two, but again, still early. Converted quarterback, tight ends have historically taken a while to adjust, and he's a freak athlete. Let's give him a little bit more time. You got to be happy with what you've gotten from Jaquan Joseph and Daryl Johnson because sixth and seventh round picks and their contributors year two, sign me up. Absolutely. 2020, Zach Moss has become a contributor. Gabriel Davis, wide receiver four. Jake Fromm is, you know, your COVID quarterback. I don't have any faith at this point in Jake Fromm. You guys know this has been well established that I'm not a Jake Fromm aficionado. I wasn't a fan of the pick. Tyler Bass is coming around. Dane Jackson as a seventh round pick has shown up and competed and been a contributor. AJ Apinesa coming around. When I look at this email and it specifically says, Are there pink sheet guys that you see as long-term answers here? For the uninitiated pink sheet guys, he's referring to um, stocks that are traded over the counter. And they're not usually on the exchanges. They're usually traded for less than 4 or $5 a share. It's that level of investment. So as I look across the last couple of drafts, I think Daryl Johnson has a chance to continue to be part of the rotation. I think Dane Jackson has a chance to continue to be part of the cornerback rotation. So I think that those players are 
for sure going to be contributors during their entire rookie contracts. I think Jaquan Johnson is the same way. And I think that Tyler Bass has a chance to be the most meaningful day three pick of the last three drafts. Because there's a chance that Tyler Bass is the kicker for this team, signs a second and potentially third contract, and is the kicker for a decade. That's a possibility. And if that's the case, that will be the biggest hit because of what it meant to the team. So if I was going to put my eggs in somebody's basket for a pink sheet guy who I think, hey, hey man, you know, they, they, they got a shot here to be a long-term contributor, it'd be Tyler Bass. Now the inverse is what about some blue chippers? And I've already talked about it, but I think of the people who were drafted in the first three rounds over the last couple of drafts, Harrison Phillips is the one, I think, who has the lowest chance of getting meaningful playing time and or a second contract with this team. So that would be my answer to that question. Thanks for pitching that. I really uh, really like it. I don't know if it was necessarily wasted opportunity. I just think that Harrison Phillips hasn't developed it thus far the way that we wanted him to, and that's impacted him. He's also been hurt. Moving along, Jeremy says, if Milano plays Sunday, AJ, the sack machine, Klein, that's what we're calling him now, apparently, will continue his hot streak and make impact plays to the line of scrimmage while not having to worry about covering in the passing game. If Milano does not play, Klein falls back to earth and gets ripped by the 49ers quick, short, horizontal passing game. He will not have enough time to get to the quarterback and when in coverage, Shanahan schemes ways to get Klein moving east and west instead of north and south. San Francisco's backs and tight ends have a field day. This is a lot of what I'm concerned about with the San Francisco offense. It's horizontal. And historically, over the last three weeks, one of the things that has kind of happened with the Bills' defensive success is they have been able to bring blitzing. And one of the worst things to do against horizontal attacks is blitz because you get outflanked real easy and you get taken out of the play. So I am concerned about the San Francisco 49ers offensive scheme against the things that have been successful, I would very much like to have Milano instead of Klein at this point. Jeremy also says, I thought you mentioned several pods ago that you wanted a title as opposed to a nickname. Robert the Bruce is a nice title, but not so much of a nickname. As to the latter, I suggest the following. The BEX, Bex, Run BNC, C stands for Cleveland. B Swayze, because I'm a ghost. Noli, B, Noli, Noli, B, or just plain B. So I kind of like Noli, B. Kind of seems like, you know, Cardi B. You know, it's what the kids are getting into these days, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to go eat my grape nuts and have my unfrosted sugar cookies. And y'all can be young people, I guess, together. Moving along. Next email says, hi, Bruce. The announcers of a football game have never affected my enjoyment of a game, and I have never felt the need to vent. However... Greg Gumble is absolutely horrid. He couldn't keep up with the yard markers on a play, having Andre Roberts crossing the 25 when he was already beyond the 35. I've also never heard of another announcer misjudge the yard marker at the end of the play, often by two yards or more. Even more so, it bothers me. The total lack of creativity and nuance in his calls. One example of many is that when the Chargers running back Joshua Kelly flies airborne, untouched into the end zone, like he has wings, we get... Kelly dives in. If I ever have to listen to Greg Gumbel do another Bills game, it will be with a bottle of Pepto-Bismol by my side. So, that's a strong take. I'll level with you. I don't pay much attention to most announcers. I keep the game on fairly low, 
as far as volume goes, because I want to be able to talk to my wife. And so I really don't notice announcers very much. I I don't know what it is. I just, the play-by-play guys are fine. I, I, I guess I never really thought about it, to be honest. They just don't affect me that much because I don't, I don't look to play-by-play guys to increase my knowledge of the game. I'll do that after the game. During the game is not the time when I'm really capable of doing that anyway. There's probably people smarter than me who are capable of learning things about the game during the game. But during the game, I'm watching specific players because I'm interested in them. And I'm not really paying that much attention to the play-by-play or the analyst. Just... Not part of my thing. I will listen to Gus. Gus Johnson is my dude. I love his passion. Some people find it lame and over the top. I personally like it. So, oh well. Jason comes in with the almighty take that says the Buffalo Bills will go undefeated the rest of this regular season. I can't get there. Teams lose games that they shouldn't lose all the time. And so if the Bills dropped one to the Dolphins or they dropped one to the Patriots. Both teams, they probably should beat. I wouldn't be shocked and I probably wouldn't freak out about it because that happens all the time. Unless you're the Steelers, in which case you get to 11-0 and through miraculous circumstances. But I'm going to say somewhat improbable. I just can't get there for the Bills to win out. I think it's possible for sure, but I'm going to say somewhat improbable. Mr. Harris says his almighty take for week 13 is that they try to force the run again after an effective run game performance against the Chargers. It's hard to imagine McDermott steers away from it. You know, I think that I think that the Borg conversation we had earlier today is probably accurate. And I do think that's probably a reasonable reason why the Bills did what they did against the Chargers. If you look at the San Francisco 49ers defense and how it stacks up this particular year. First off, you have to understand that Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, is going to be a hot name for head coaching jobs for a reason. That defense lost Nick Bosa, D. Ford, and DeForest Buckner this offseason, has been riddled with injuries, and has done admirably this year. He's moved Richard Sherman, Jimmy Ward all over the place. Tarvarius Moore showed up in the box. Sherman was a free safety. Marcel Harris was a linebacker. They were using players all over the place. And Jared Goff was kind of out of whack, out of sync against them. So I think that there's a very reasonable chance that they don't want to expose Josh Allen to a very positionless zone-based defense and they go run heavy again. I think that's a very realistic possibility we'll see but I think it's a a perfectly reasonable take that if I was McDermott and I was thinking the way McDermott thinks that I think it's completely reasonable that they would go run heavy again next take I appreciate you responding to your followers tweets we are fortunate to be able to pick your brain additionally my almighty take it is criminal you don't have a hundred thousand followers although selfishly it's fantastic I can get a response yeah, I uh, yeah, I've I've picked up a lot of followers over the last uh, two years or so uh, on Twitter, and I I try to respond to as much stuff as I possibly can. Uh, it's 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 getting to the point where there's no way I'm going to be able to respond to everything. It's just it's just not possible. 
um, because of how much stuff I get. So I apologize ahead of time. If you send me a tweet, and I don't respond. I'm not able to respond to your question or you send me a DM and I don't respond. It's not because I didn't see it. It's just because there's limited amounts of time in the day. And I just, I know it's hard to leave you hanging out there, but you know, I have a real job that requires a shockingly large amount of my time. I'm actually a really super busy guy and I try and fit this in as best as possible because of my normal life. Uh, that is, uh, requires some significant amounts of time from me in my, my vocation and my uh, personal life. So thank you. First off, David, for that. I really appreciate that. Uh, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a hundred thousand followers. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty insane. At Bruce Exclusive, Almighty Take is going forward. Anytime a team gets too far behind, we will see a Hail Mary. <laughs> now that the Bills have allowed two of them, teams will be testing whether it's a weakness. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see teams throw it. But the thing is that it's not just a low percentage play from a defensive standpoint. It's also a low percentage play from an offensive standpoint. So offenses don't look at a Hail Mary as being a high percentage play. And because of that, you know, four verts for a Hail Mary, that's that's something they have to put together on their own. They have to put together the idea that the Bills are weak against it and we're good at it. And I don't know. I just, I understand that two completions on a Hail Mary in back-to-back weeks is kind of weird and it's fluky, but it's still just two. I, I'm just not willing to devote a significant amount of energy to thinking about it. I know it's been kind of a popular take this week. I didn't address it on the podcast yesterday because I specifically knew I had this almighty take and I had kind of forgotten about it until I read it just now, but sample size is still too small for me to worry about it. It really is literally the next almighty take is there will be plenty of chatter and worry about the Harry Hail Mary defense all week long, even though it's a highly improbable play. And this week's was even more so with the ball being knocked back into the receiver's hands as opposed to Nuke being good. Literally got two takes back to back. One worried about Hail Mary defense. The next saying, hey, someone's going to complain about Hail Mary defense. I just think that's awesome. Thomas is finishing it up. My almighty take, since that gruesome Burrow injury, still refuse to watch it, I've been thinking that Bean deserves props not just for surrounding Josh with receivers and coaching, but a functional offensive line. Remember when Josh looks like a fox in a Royal English hunt most games. Yeah, 2018 Josh was running for his life the most of the time. And part of isolating the variable is making sure he has the protection to develop. And if he doesn't have the protection to develop, it can really set back everything else. It can set back any evaluation of him processing coverage. It can set back any evaluation of him with protection. It can set back any evaluation of him in multiple different aspects because the offensive line wasn't good. So I'm very grateful that Brandon Bean has decided to invest in the offensive line. This offseason is going to require more investments because John Feliciano's contract is up. Daryl Williams' contract is up, and we're hoping we have a left guard in Cody Ford. So there's going to be more turnover coming on the offensive line. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We are going to crumble the cookies of the San Francisco 49ers. Stick with me. We'll be right back. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We're going to crumble cookies because that's what we do for our last segment every single week. The last thing I say to you before the game happens is let's do these things and get her done. And let's start with this horizontal offense beats vertical defense. Now the bills have been successful over the last couple of weeks in part on defense due to the amount of blitzing they've done specifically with AJ Klein, allowing him to move forward instead of side to side has limited the reactionary and space deficiencies that had previously shown up in his game. He was AFC defensive player of the week. It was the best performance of his NFL career, probably his life last week against the chargers. But the wide zone runs, misdirection screen game by the 49ers, jet motion, wide receiver running, all of this stuff bodes poorly for a blitz-heavy vertical defense. The Bills have seen this type of offense before. The idea of using wide receivers as ball carriers in sort of a positionless sort of offense where anybody can be a ball carrier and anybody can be a receiver. We've seen that before as Bills fans. The Bills defense has seen it before. They've seen it this year. It was the Rams. I have Robert Woods on my fantasy team. And every single week he gets two to three carries. There's, I don't think there's any wide receiver in recent memory who's had as many touches running the ball over the last couple of years as Robert Woods. Because it's part of the offense. And that's the way it is for the 49ers. And all it takes with that type of speed is one false step. And when you're blitzing, those false steps are going to happen more often. I would make an argument that unless you know you're blitzing to the correct side, it should probably be a less blitz-heavy defensive game plan. Compress the line of scrimmage. Press up on the receivers, stay disciplined in your fits, and make Nick Mullins throw down the field. If he beats you throwing 20 and 30-yard routes, so be it. Because it's improbable. We talk about probabilities all the time on this podcast. If you tell me that the reason the Buffalo Bills lose this game is because Nick Mullins lit him up like a Christmas tree down the field, I will take it. Because I think it's improbable. I think the 49ers have a more probable chance of winning other ways. And as such, we should try to not let him do those things. On the other side of the ball, get ready for some zone, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Sala has done a good job. I mean, I didn't even mention before that Jarquiski Tart, budding star safety, toe injury, gone. The 49ers have managed to be a reasonable defense this year, primarily due to scheme, not because they've got the horses. 
And what that means is that you should bring all your zone beaters to the table. There's going to be a lot of eyes in the backfield. You know this because they're playing zone. Bring your zone beaters. Bring your double moves. Bring the things that you know can help a defense when they don't have the horses to hold up in man coverage against your wide receivers. Even absent John Brown, the 49ers do not have the horses to hold up with Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis in the passing game. Know that you're going to get that. Have flood concepts built in. Have smash concepts built in. Have the things you know beat zone and let Josh Allen do it. This is going to be a great week to see how he's progressed against zone because it's interesting. We kind of left that narrative as a fan base. One of the narratives we were talking about a couple weeks ago was, hey, you know, there's a new way of defending Josh Allen. And then teams didn't really do that against Josh Allen. I think the 49ers are going to. It will be an excellent opportunity to see how he's evolved against zone defense. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Friday to you. Happy Saturday to you. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Monday. Happy whatever day it is you're listening to this pod. And from me to you, from my family to yours, I say, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan.